Thank you so much for joining me in this broadcast of Dynamic Web Church. What an honor to have you with me and I want to thank all those people that are watching this website, going to dynamicministries.com and just listening to these messages, forwarding this, telling people about the website and the message of grace. It's an honor to have you as part of the family. You know the Bible says that those that are born of God love their brothers. And um, the revelation I have on that is, how can you be born of God and be against somebody that preaches the grace of God? So, thank you for loving me. Um, We are part of a family because we've got one thing in common, and that is the true gospel and the effect of the true gospel, which is salvation in your life. Amen. Um, I'm excited about today's service. I'm going to give a little bit of a... A report back on my trip to the United States and what we've done there. Uh, we're going to have communion. It's always nice to have communion and to meditate and think upon, ponder upon the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus and the effect it has in our lives. Let us just pray together before we start. <clears throat> Father, I want to thank you for every person that's watching. I want to thank you for the honor that I have to come and preach the gospel um, all over the world through this internet TV channel. Thank you that people can be touched, people's lives can be impacted by the message of grace. You're a wonderful God. You're a God of love and a God of grace. Thank you that you speak through me today. Lord, thank you for giving me utterance in a way that people's lives can be impacted and that this message can bring and manifest the life of God in them today in Jesus mighty name. Amen. Um, As you guys know I've been to the United States. Uh, We had a wonderful time in the US. Uh, I've I've been to New Jersey with some good friends there uh, preaching the gospel in the traditional setup and man God was just so faithful in in just giving one utterance, giving me an ability to speak the gospel in a powerful way from the perspective of holiness and uh, touching the lives of many people. And there is an effect after that, a positive effect after I've left people inviting um, the, uh, Alexander Thomas, the guy that in, invited me, uh, to their churches to come and teach them further concerning the gospel of grace. So I'm very, very excited about that. I went to New York and that was just an experience. Forget about now just the preaching of the gospel, just to see New York, uh, went to Times Square, Empire State Building, Statue of Liberty and all those places. It was just wonderful to go to the places where I always see them make the movies. Uh, I've enjoyed that so much. Um, for those of you that, that joined me in the services there, those people that came from all over the States to come and join me uh, in the messages that we've preached there in the services, thank you so much for making the effort. Uh, it's wonderful to have met with you people that I've only met on Facebook, that was friends only via the internet, that I could see the real faces, shake their hands, give them a hug, and uh, just see people that are really knowing and understanding the gospel of grace, and that this ministry has impacted. Thank you so much for making that effort. From there, uh, from New Jersey, we went down to uh, Cookville, and I preached at a church of Pastor Ron Allen, which was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. I also preached in the Baptist church in that area, and uh, we had services every day. It was wonderful to see the gospel of grace touching the lives of people. Then um, Mark Woody, 
is a, a man that is now running the office, my office in the U.S. For those of you that don't know that we've started an office in the United States, he came up to me and said to me, Bertie, I feel in my heart that I want to do this for you and uh, start the office in the United States. So we've got an office in the U.S. now. So if you want to know what my itinerary is going to be in the U.S.A., um, if you want to order some of our material, you can contact our office. Uh, the contact details is under contact us on the website. You'll just see the U.S. office. There's also an email address for the U.S. office that will go directly to them. So you can, you can do that. We've just started that. We are making our uh, material in South Africa at the moment and it will be posted next week to the U.S. Uh, and then from there duplicates will be made and all those type of things. So, um, so give them a little bit of time just to get all the material if you want to order material. If you want to hear anything else, you can contact them. The number is also on the website. It's wonderful for me to have that uh, and I believe it will really help the ministry in a great way in the United States. Mark also arranges my itinerary when I'm there um, and all those type of things. It's wonderful to have him on board and his wife Bronda. What a blessing to have you guys as part of this ministry. And I also want to thank Ron Allen for giving us some office space and um, opening his church to make that available for us. Uh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Ron, for doing that. God is just an awesome, awesome God. And what I've seen is we don't have to chase after things. Let God do the things and we live in peace. Amen. Um, I will be in the United States again in February and Helena, my wife, will be going with me. Uh, we'll be preaching again in Cookville area, Nashville, Cookville, that area. And then we will go down to uh, Florida and we'll preach in a conference there, a grace conference held by Pastor um, Alan Spiegel. And from there I'll be going to, uh, to Canada and we'll go down to, uh, we'll be back to the U.S. again. So, we're busy organizing the itinerary, but know this, in February, March, I will be in the United States again, and I'll be preaching the gospel of grace. Amen. Right, uh, let's get into the Word of God for today. Um, I'm going to read from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians as well as Hebrews 11. Ephesians and Hebrews 11. Then I want to ask you if you can just turn that light up, but it's very bright in my eyes. Um, right, Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, Hebrews chapter 8. Right, thank you so much. That's perfect. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 9. Now, I've been preaching about this uh, last Sunday and the broadcast that came up last Sunday. And uh, this is about the new law that's in our hearts. And it's a great revelation that well, anyway, to me it's a great revelation. It's really blessed my life to realize that the law that God writes on our hearts is not the Ten Commandments, but it's a new law. It's the law of the faithfulness of God towards man. It's the law of God's loving kindness towards man. And another way of putting the word law, it is the principle, the mindset by which God operates, by which God does things. So there's a certain mindset by which God has got a, a, a relationship with us which we need to understand. Under the Old Testament there was, or the Old Covenant, there was a certain mindset by which man related to God called the law, which is, I must become. It is, it is by your works or your works determine who you are and what happens to you. And in the New Testament there's something different. There's another law. And the other law that there is, 
is the faithfulness of God determines who you are. The loving kindness of God determines who you are. The righteousness or good thing done by God in Jesus Christ is what determines who we are. And that is called the new law or the law of life. In Romans chapter 8, we can find the different laws there. And the one is the law of life in Christ Jesus or the law of sin and death. So there's definitely two different laws. Now the law of sin and death, I know that it was written down on stones by God and given in written format by God unto people. Uh, although it was not God's law in the sense of um, God's, God in, initiated it between God and man. It was Adam's doing in the beginning because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that was in the garden of Eden, God commanded man not to eat thereof, but man did eat thereof and said, I will be like God by knowing good and evil. And then God said, well, now man is like God by knowing good and evil, or man wants to be like God by knowing good and evil. Um, and we find his godliness in his works. And God said, let us put, uh, put them out of the garden, lest they eat of the tree of life and find their everlasting life in that state. And God kept them away from the garden so that they could die, so that a new Adam could come, or the last Adam could come, which was Jesus. And then God opened the garden again so that we can now partake of Jesus Christ and then partake of immortality in the turn of Jesus, which is eternal life. And right now we've got the proof of that eternal life in us, which is the Holy Spirit. So, we must know this one thing for sure, and that is there's a new law. The old law was the one from the Garden of Eden, which was the law system. The new law is called the law of life in Christ Jesus. That is the law that God is going to write on our hearts and in our minds. And we need to know and understand that. There's no such a thing as, as God is going to write the, the law of Moses on our hearts. We need to know that clearly. God is not going to write the Ten Commandments on our hearts. For the Ten Commandments, although called the law of God in Romans chapter 7, we must realize that Romans chapter 7 was written to those that were under the law and that knew the law. Because Paul says in Romans chapter 7, I speak to those that know the law. So those that know the law, the law is seen as the law of God. That's why... Uh, um, I believe when Paul wrote, he says, this law of God, this that, this that we see as the law of God is actually the ministration of death and we should see it that way and realize that after those days, God will give a new law or His law in our hearts, which is the law that says we are alive in Christ Jesus. Amen. The law of sin and death is one man sinned and death came unto us all. The law of life is one man obeyed and brought life unto us all, so that whosoever believe has got access through faith, by faith, into this grace whereby we are saved. Amen. Now, that is the simplicity of what I'm, what I'm going to share with you. And then we're going to go to uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to just see how far I can get. Uh, um, you know, I was just thinking of preaching through the, the book of Ephesians from the perspective that I've got of the book of Ephesians and, and share with you guys what I think about the book of Ephesians. Some of the stuff I've already said, but we're just going to do it that way and I believe it will encourage you. Right, let's read from Hebrews 
chapter uh, uh, 8 and verse 9. It says, now listen to this, verse 7. It says, For if this first covenant had been faultless, there should no place have been sought for a second. So what happens is, the first covenant, the law, God did not find fault with a man. He found fault with a covenant. And we need to understand that. So if we are fending for a covenant that says, um, or for the Old Testament, we are fending for something that God finds fault with. There's a fault with the Old Testament. It's not a perfect covenant. It's not a covenant by which man can be saved. There's something wrong with the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. It says, for if, for, uh, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. So, the first covenant is not faultless. Now, you might say, but Barty, the Bible says the law is holy. The law is holy. The written law, or the law in written format, is holy. It's perfect. It stands for perfect righteousness. But we must realize that there's a difference between the written law and the, uh, the covenant under which man was. The written law was, these are the holy things that you must do, which is faultless and perfect. But the covenant that says, by doing those things we will be saved, there's a big fault with that. Um, and if that was perfect, then God would, there would have been no place where another or a second would have been sought. Verse 8, For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So God said here that he found fault with that covenant. So he says there was a covenant, an old one, but then he brings a new one with better promises, a better covenant. Uh, let's read verse 6 and show it to you. But now... Uh, but now has he ordained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Verse 8, For finding fault with them, with what? What them? It's not just people here. It talks about the covenant. Finding fault with the laws and rules and regulations. He is finding fault with them. He said, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. So he says there's a different covenant. And this covenant will not be according to that old covenant. So he wasn't even talking about the rules and regulations. He was talking about the way in which or the foundation on which that covenant was based. And the old covenant was based simply on um, man's ability to obey God by rules and regulations through his flesh. Because, that, because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, says the Lord. So, here God says, I don't want... He finds fault with a covenant that finds fault with us. And we need to see this because this is a wonderful revelation. He says that I see a covenant as a faulty covenant if it can find fault with man and put man in a place where man cannot be blessed by God. 
That is awesome. Uh, <laughs> so, if we are under a rule system that makes us guilty before God, then God finds fault with that system. Because God's purpose and God's desire for man cannot be accomplished. Now, let me explain to you this way. God has got desire in His heart to make you righteous and to see you blameless before Him. And forget about just righteous and blameless. He's got desire in His heart for you to be like God. He wants you to be like Him and experience all the benefits of being just like God and having a God life in your life. That's what God wants. That's God's purpose. Now, when God was looking at who He was, and one of the greatest blessings that He has is to give you immortality. When God said, well, I want man to be like me. I want an earth man to be like me. He made a covenant. And He said, I need a pathway through which I can have them like me. Now, when man came and he brought in another way, through the other way called the law, man was not qualified to be like God. So, for man, when man was not qualified to be like God, God found fault with that covenant. Not the man, the covenant. Because the covenant made man guilty before God, and God could not qualify for, or man could not qualify for the blessings that God wanted to give to him and to establish God's will in man's life. Now, I, I hope that's not complicated to you, but that is the simplicity of what God is saying in Hebrews here. The writer of the book of Hebrews comes and he clearly states that God found fault with the law because through the law system he could not regard man. So the purpose that God has with man is to regard man and to bless man and to have man in the very image and likeness of God to have the fullness of the Godhead inside man that is the purpose and the plan of man that is what was from the beginning from the beginning God had a plan and he said I'm going to make man in my image and in my likeness and I will place him on the earth and in an earth suit. So from earth he made a man in, uh, from, from the dust and gave him the breath of life. He blew the breath of life into that dust. And then God was alive in, in the earth, if I can put it that way. In an earth suit. Man sinned. Um, and, and, and when man sinned, he implemented a law that says God can only bless me if I do these things or I can only be like God by doing these things God found fault with that because that made you guilty so any law that makes you guilty before God so that you cannot attain unto what God ordained for you is not God's plan for you hallelujah so if we come to finances and we say well I need to tithe in order for God bless me let me t tell you something. I don't say that there does not exist, such a law does not exist. It exists. But God finds fault with it. And the fault that God finds with that law is the first day that you don't tithe. God's not angry with you. But God says, or let me put it this way, God will be angry at man or man will qualify for the wrath of God or no blessing 
And then when that happens, God says man stands guilty. So God finds fault with man, but the greatest fault he finds is with the law that qualifies man to be condemned. So then he says the greatest mistake here is the thing that makes man guilty. So if I can take the thing that makes man guilty out of the way and give a new law under which man cannot be guilty, but be blessed, that is what I call the better promised covenant or the better promised testament. Isn't that awesome? It says here, now listen to verse verse 9 here, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in, in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not. So the thing is, there's a covenant that God says, I will give, a, and, and that He gave when He led them out of, the, uh, out of Egypt. That was the covenant, obey all my commands. So, when He said that, He said, that is my covenant that I've got with them in Israel. That covenant that He had with man was based on the law placed there by Adam. God couldn't have anything else because Jesus had, didn't come yet. So, here He says that I cannot have a covenant with them like that anymore. Because if I have it with them, they cannot obey my covenant and then I cannot regard them. Now, the moment you look at the gospel from this perspective, it puts God in a completely different light. All of a sudden, the Old Testament God is not a monster anymore that just demands obedience from us. All of a sudden, we can see a difference between God and the covenant. We can see God as a God that wants to bless us, but that and that the hand of God is not too short to save, but the hand of the law is too short to place us in the place of salvation. Then God said, I'll make a new one. And this he quotes from the Old Testament in uh, 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 Jeremiah. Verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the, uh, with the house of Israel after those days. So he says here, that there's a new covenant that He will make after those days. In other words, after the old covenant has fallen away, I will have a new covenant. He says, I will put my law in their mind and I, I will write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. Now, we need to understand this. God says that I will put my law in their hearts. Now, what is the law of God? And I've explained that in the beginning and I want to just connect it in here. The law of God is the principle on which, by which God lives towards man now, which is Jesus. Jesus is God's new law. The law of life in Christ Jesus, which according to um, Psalms 40, Jesus says, Your law is in my heart. But I did not keep your law in my heart as a secret, but I declared your righteousness, I declared your salvation, and I declared your faithfulness, and I declared your loving kindness. So the law of God is God's righteousness towards man and the good thing done by the, uh, on the cross and in the body of Jesus. The law of God is God's salvation, how He saves man, the principle by which He saves man. That's God's new law. What's God's new law? One man obeyed on behalf of everybody and by faith we've got access into that grace and we are safe. And he can regard us as he regards the resurrected Jesus. 
the way in which God will regard us is by giving us an immortal body. Now you might say, but Bertie, we don't have an immortal body yet. Yes, but we've got the proof of immortality inside us, which is the Holy Spirit. And the fact that we have the Holy Spirit in us is the proof that we will be immortal before God in the return of Jesus. For the Spirit that is in us will also quicken our mortal bodies according to Romans chapter 8 verse 9. Isn't that powerful? That is exactly what it says. The, uh, uh, I think it's 8 verse 9, I'm not sure. Romans chapter 8, it says, uh, verse 10, 12 maybe, it says that the Spirit that is inside us will also quicken us because Jesus was raised into immortality by the Holy Spirit. So the same Spirit that lives in us, and because He lives in us, we find uh, uh, the characteristics of God in us, living through our spirits, as our minds are changed into the new, into the knowledge of who we really are and who He really is. When our minds change, we find new characteristics, the characteristics of God in our lives, like long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, peace, uh, uh, faith, faithfulness, and all those type of things in our lives. But what we don't see yet is, we don't see our bodies immortal yet. But as we know, the Bible states, and this is what Paul says, he says, if Jesus was raised from the dead by the Spirit that was in Him, we will be raised into immortality by the Spirit that is inside us. And if He returns while, while we are still alive in this world, there's a mystery that will take place and that will manifest. And that is that we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye into a brand new body by the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Now you might say, Bertie, why are you uh, mentioning these things about immortality? It's very important to understand immortality. Because if we don't understand immortality and how it happens, we will uh, uh, interpret the New Testament in a wrong way. We will take words, where uh, the word salvation, where it refers to most of the time as an immortal body, and we will refer, take that and apply it to our spirits. And when we do that, we will start to come up with weird doctrines in the Bible. Uh, things like, we cannot lose our salvation. We must realize something, that if salvation is you will receive an immortal body, then you can lose your salvation. Now, there are people that might just say, Bertie, now you're going off, off, off the way and you are not preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ anymore and I'm going to switch this uh, internet feed off now. Um, I, w I want to ask you just to keep it on and listen to what I've got to say. And many people will feel, well, I feel now condemned because you are saying that I can lose my salvation. And the, listen, if you feel condemned if I say you can lose your salvation, you don't understand salvation. Because salvation is based on what Jesus has done. Adam got it right. Listen to me. Adam got it right to lose what God gave him. Jesus was in the place where he could lose what God gave him. And you are not above your master. You can lose what God has given you. It will not be God leaving you. It will be you leaving God. You will, many people say, but we can never be pulled away from the hand of God and what's in the hand of God. He will never, nothing can pluck us out of His hand. Yes, that's if you're in the hand of God. But if you refuse to be in the hand of God, you know, nothing 
has to even pluck you out because you're leaving that safe place of being in the place of salvation. Now you say, Bertie, but how does that work? Now you can go to Hebrews chapter 12 and um, in Hebrews chapter, uh, you can read 10, 11, 12. The whole thing is about that. It says here, um, let me find uh, um, that place in Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 7 says, If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons, and what son is he whom the Father chastens not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Furthermore, you have had fathers of your flesh, which corrected us, and which gave them, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits, and live. For, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Okay? Now, no, now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, after it yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up your hands, you hang down and feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, listen to this, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest a root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for a morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterwards, when he, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place uh, of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched, might not be touched, um, and that burnt with fire, n- nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest. So what he's saying here is, uh, it sounds complicated if you read it that way. What he says is, listen, you Jewish people that came to the faith, there were people that believed. Uh, um, and you can read that if you read Hebrews from chapter 1. And then he says, listen, you're going back to the law system again. So now I come and I rebuke you and correct you and chasten you through the writing of, of the book of Hebrews. Showing you that you are people that are going off the rails and your knees are becoming lame. You are going back to the law system and you are busy selling your birthright for a morsel of meat. So do we want to sell our birthright, in other words, the right we have because of the new birth in Jesus, for meat or for flesh or for the works of the law? And have no more place of repentance. So he says here, if you don't repent at the rebuking that you have now, or the chastisement that you have now, you will never find a place of repentance. For the place of repentance is returning back to Jesus. And if you don't return back to Jesus, how can you be saved? That's what the whole chapter 11 is about. By saying, and the whole chapter 10 is about, by saying, stay in faith. 
Stay in faith. Don't reject faith. Continue to believe that you will have an immortal body and that Jesus will return and that you will have immortal life in your flesh. And if you don't, and, th- and then of course you will be saved. Now we are saved and we've got the proof of our salvation which is the Spirit in us. But if we reject our faith before the return of Jesus, how will we be saved? Paul says there that you can fall from grace. The Hebrew writer here says that you fail of the grace of God. It says here, um, oh man, I've just read it to you now. It says that we are failing of the grace of God. If you fail of the grace of God, you are failing of the influence of Jesus. You reject Jesus. You reject His Spirit. You reject His salvation. Now, many people say, but how can the Holy Spirit ever leave you? In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit left people. In the, New, the Holy Spirit will live with those that want Him. If you reject Jesus, my friend, if you reject believing the grace message and you go back to the Jewish traditions, the Bible says clearly in the book of Galatians that if you are circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now, nothing means you will not be saved. Now, you see, if we understand the gospel not correctly, if we don't understand, and this is what I want to get to in Hebrews chapter 9, you know, that, that there is a new law. And if we understand the new law, the new law by which we live, that we might be saved, which is, and I refer to salvation now as an immortal body, I'm not referring to the uh, having a new mind and having a, a being renewed in the spirit of our mind. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the physical body in the return of Jesus, standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And there's a word that says, my faithful servant, and we receive our immortal bodies. Uh, uh, and that's what I'm talking about. So, And there's no person, you know, there are people today that believe that we are immortal already and that Jesus has returned already. And the Bible says they overthrow the faith of many. And there's a gospel, and most charismatics these days preach a mixed gospel, saying, not just mixed in the sense of law and grace, but mixed between, they, they mix uh, immortality with what we've got now. You must know, now we've got this Christ in us, the hope of glory. That is the revelation. We've got Christ in us, not the fulfillment of glory, the hope, the expectation, the anointing inside us, the Spirit inside us, by which we preach the gospel, by which our minds renewed into the understanding of Christ, of what Christ has done, hoping for the glory of God. Now, how do we hope for the glory of God? We've got a confident expectation that this glory will be manifested in our mortal bodies. Amen. And, and, and we, will, we will preach more about that anyway some other time. But know this one thing. If you think that everything has already happened in your flesh, manifested to the full, you will be a very depressed person. Because every second of the day, every breath you take, as you grow older, as you find your gray hair coming out of your head, as you find wrinkles around your eyes, as you find that your strength weakens and you, you don't have the strength that you had in your adolescence, uh, when you were young, when you were a teenager, 
everything you have every second of the day, not just yours, but everybody that believe what you believe and you see them growing older, will be an indication of your false belief. And you have to have a mind over matter gospel where you just confess into the air something positive to get you happy for the next moment. We cannot believe like that. We cannot live like that. We need to have a gospel that makes sense. And that's what the Bible says in, in, in Psalm 119. It says, Give me understanding and I will obey your law. Without understanding, we cannot obey the law of God. And we need to understand how this gospel works, people. Without understanding, we cannot bear any fruit. I want to tell you that you becoming older, you having weakness in your body, you having all those things is no indication of God's separation from you or of any separation from God towards you. The indication of God being with us is Jesus Christ being unified with, uh, with God in a physical body and we have the fullness of God in Jesus and we will see the manifestation of that fullness in the return of Jesus. And if we take today the beggarly things of this world, you know, if we take the things of this world uh, uh, like a, a body that is going backwards, and we want to say that by our ability to make that body going forward, by believing on Jesus and seeing that change today, we can say we are saved and we are blessed and we are prosperous. I, I want to tell you something. You will be so wrong and so depressed, you will become weird. And you will believe a lie and you will not, you, you are not true and you will be corrected by Jesus Himself. And Jesus corrected people like that in writing to Timothy through the Apostle Paul telling them that there are those that say the resurrection has already happened, overthrowing the faith of many. So if you believe these things have already happened, you are overthrowing the true faith. Hallelujah. Now, let's read here again, and you're going to be blessed by this. It says, Not according to the covenant which I've made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them um, out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, I regarded them not, says the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with, listen to this, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days of the Lord. I will put my law in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. Now I want to say this to you. Before you understand the righteousness of God, I'm not talking about your righteousness. You know, if we, many people, when you say the righteousness of God, they think of how holy they must live. Forget that. We're talking about the righteousness of God. Before you understand how righteous God is to live by the new law, before you understand the righteousness of God by saying the right thing to do towards man is to obey on behalf of man and bless him accordingly. Before you understand the righteousness of God, the salvation of God, the loving kindness of God, and the faithfulness of God to you, God's never been a God to you. You don't understand the definition God. You understand the definition of punisher, judge, uh, master, and all those type of things, but you don't understand the, the, the word God. 
I've come to realize as I studied this, the, the scripture that the definition for God is not found in the Old Testament. The definition for God can only start, we can only start to comprehend who God is and the definition of the word God when we've come to the revelation of the New Testament. And then, when we get the revelation of the New Testament out of living like that, you'll start to understand and see what the word God means. God is not defined by the Hebrew definitions of God. You can take, take, take the word God and try and say, well, the Hebrew for God means the all-sufficient one or God my healer. or No, no, no. What, what, God is defined and understood by knowing how much He loves you. The person of God and who God really is can only start, it's only started to be comprehended by understanding how faithful He is towards you. How He saves you free from your works. How He gives you immortality as a free gift by the body of Jesus. By understanding the gospel, it says, then then you will be, then God will be to you a God, and you will be to Him a people. Before that, you're not a people to God. You are slaves to God. And He doesn't want you to be slaves. He wants you to be sons. And He doesn't want you to have this boss. He wants you to have a God. Now, to explain God to you is very uh, 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 difficult outside of somebody understanding these basic principles. Listen to this. He says, I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins, and their iniquities, I will I remember no more. In that he said, a new covenant, he made the first old, now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Now, listen to this. This is, oh my goodness, this is so powerful. He comes and he says, when the new comes, I will be to them a God and they will be to me a people. Now, this people of God, that are the people of God. He doesn't talk about the whole world now. We must read the context because you find people that say, that use this scripture that says that everybody now is saved free from even having, having faith. He comes here and the context is rebuking Israel, rebuking people that want to go back, bringing a new covenant by faith. We've got access into this and that is in the very next chapter, chapter 10 and 11, where it talks about faith. So he says here, you are a people that are part of a new covenant. They've got access into this grace through faith. They are... I am now to them a God, and they are to me a people. Who are they? The believers. These people that are believers, what happened to them? They will not, the one will not say to the other one, know the Lord. For all shall know me. Now, this is a very difficult way, difficult thing to understand. If you don't put yourself in the shoes of the people that this was written to. Now, Put yourself in the shoes of the Hebrew people that backslid from Jesus, went back to animal sacrifices, went back to circumcision. 
So here you are a person that believes that you are justified by your works and you are justified by circumcision. You are completely back under the law, but you also believe a little bit in Jesus. Now the, a guy comes and he writes to you and he says to you, listen, the old thing has passed away. A new thing has come and the old is, is not supposed to be there anymore. And he says to them that when you're part of the new, uh, 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 and uh, sorry for this, he says, he, he speaks to people whose mindset is the law saying no God. Now under the law, what does know the Lord mean? Because the word Lord is also in the Old Testament. It's not a New Testament word. We, we take Lord as no Jesus. But when these people, when they said know the Lord, their reference to Lord was God under the Old Covenant. Now, the old, you can go and read commentaries on this if you like. There are many commentaries that state what I say now. And even if there was no commentary who stated this, I believe this is the truth. Under the old, there was a temple in Jerusalem. And then there were many synagogues. Then the people would go to Jerusalem once a year from far, where there were only synagogues. And they would go and hear the word of God, which was not the gospel of Jesus which was, do this, do this, do this, do this. They had this ritual by which they lived and taught the word, just like the Muslims. You know, the Muslim prayers, the, the prayers were written out, and they had, and they pray their prayer. And the Jewish people at that time basically had the same. They said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. Because the other disciples had a prayer that they were saying. You know, the disciples of John, they had their prayer that they said. And then Jesus gave them their ritual prayer that they needed to pray, and which was under the old anyway. And they had this ritual by which they did things. And then they were taught laws from Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy and whatever. Then they went back home and they taught people how to know God by obeying laws. Know the Lord. Do this, do this, do this. You are wrong here. You should do it this way. You are wrong here. You should do it this way. Because it says, if you obey all the commandments, I command you this day. And then there was many commandments. So these people tried to memorize these things. Then they went home and they taught their wives and their kids and their family and whoever, do this, do this, do this. You're wrong here. You are sinning here. Do it this way. You are sinning here. Do it this way. You're unrighteous here. This is the righteous way. And that was what the context is of know the Lord. But now he says, no one will teach his neighbor saying, know the Lord. Why? For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. So, now check, look, at, look at the definition of knowing God. A person that knew God was seen as a person that stood righteous before God. So there was a law, if you stand righteous before the law, then you know God. Now here he says, they will all know me from the least to the greatest. Why? For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. So we are not preaching behavior modification anymore. Uh, what he was saying here actually was, all people will know me for the behavior modification teaching will fall away, for I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness, I will not see them as unrighteous anymore, but righteous, and no more will there be a need of preaching behavior modification, for I will be merciful to them. Hallelujah. 
So knowing God is not defined in living right anymore. Knowing God is defined in knowing Him forgiving you. The more you know that God forgives you, the more you know who God is. So he, listen, um, you know the word know here, I wish there was a different word that I could uh, use here because it's our mindsets of know and what they try to say here and what the Hebrew people understood is light years apart. We in, in, in the Western culture especially, we see know as something completely different. We see know as having intimacy with and having knowledge about that person and all that. The word know here was to live right. And to be right before God. You know God if you are right before God. It doesn't even talk about knowing the person of God. He says here that all will know me for I am merciful to their unrighteousness. So I want to tell you, if you know, according to this definition in Hebrews here, if you know that you are forgiven by Jesus, you know God, according to this definition. And you've come to the place where you don't need any more teaching. Not about God, but about righteousness. About know the Lord, stop this, do this. You've reached the place where nobody can teach you anything concerning your behavior to be righteous before God. Hallelujah, that's what he says here. Amen, isn't that wonderful? Let me just read it again. And they, and they, uh, 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 and they shall not teach every man his neighbor. And every man his brother saying, know the Lord. Or, in other words, be, be corrected by your works. You know? No, no man will do that. So here it says, every man his brother know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Amen. Hallelujah. So, I, I want to tell you what Jesus Christ has done for us is so great. He's taken away the law. He brought us to a place where, where He puts His new law in our hearts. The moment the new law is in the heart, you can know that the old things have passed away and that you already know God. Um, and that you've reached the place which, if you just know that your sins are forgiven, you've reached the highest place that a, a Jewish person or a law person could ever have reached. You've reached it. Amen. Hallelujah. So, yeah, I think it's time that we, <laughs> we go over to the... I wanted to get into Ephesians, but we didn't. Um, we're going to go over to the communion, because this is so powerful, and I think it's appropriate to think of the body of Jesus now. I want you, uh, obviously, um, you, you can pause it here, if you don't watch the live broadcast, and quickly go and get the elements for communion. And I thank God. You know, I, I just want to cry as I sit here, thinking of what Jesus has done for us. You know, He's done such an awesome work. Just by knowing you are forgiven, you've reached the highest place of righteousness, that no Jewish rabbi can correct you by the law in any area of your life. For God is merciful to my unrighteousness. I have come to know God. I can be intimate with God. Right now, with, because there's nothing that can separate me from God. No work I do, for that law has passed away and there's a new law by which I live. 
Who can correct me? Who can correct me? Who can correct you on the basis of your works? Nobody. Because the new law by which we live is God's faithfulness towards us. The only place of correction is towards your faith. I can correct you. You can correct me concerning faith. Amen. We believe. By faith we've got access into this grace by which we are saved. We are saved by grace. And we've got access by faith into this grace. Our faith. His faith brought forth the grace. Our faith access into this grace. Hallelujah. That is the gospel. That's the pure, simple gospel. Amen. Know this one thing, that the body of Jesus Christ, and and, and one thing for those of you, maybe you're watching this for the very first time, um, the body of Jesus, when it was broken, it was not broken so that we can have communion, having a mindset of our sins all the time. Oh, we're going to have communion next week, so now we must confess all our sins. Repent of that way of thinking, for that is not God's way of having communion. The Bible says an unworthy way of having communion is not being, not discerning the body of Jesus. If you want to discern your fleshly works and want to come and have communion on the basis of your perfect works, I want to tell you, you are taking communion in an unworthy way, actually bringing forth the greatest sin that you can ever do to the communion table. Comparing your flesh, saying that only because of perfect flesh I can partake of the body of Jesus. What nonsense. He came so that those that are imperfect can partake of His body. And perfection can be made ours by the body of Jesus. When His body was broken, we say that the law man broke into pieces and was utterly destroyed. And we partake of the fact that the law man was broken. And that he will raise, that he rose again into a new body and that we shall still, will be partakers of that immortal body he possesses. And the Holy Spirit in us is the proof that it will happen to us. And the Holy Spirit we received when we believed in Jesus. Amen. So, I want you to take some of the bread. Thank God. Father, we thank you for the body of Jesus. Oh Lord, thank you so much that your body was broken for us. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy towards us. Lord, as we eat of this body and drink of this blood, we partake of what Christ has done. We believe in what has happened 2,000 years ago. And it's something physical that reminds us so strongly. And Lord, as we partake of this, we declare that no curse of the law is upon us. There's healing for our physical bodies. There's restoration for us. Sickness is not part of us. Thank you for that awesome love that you have towards us, my God. Hallelujah. Let's eat together. As you eat of this, just think of how the lawman died. 
in the body of Jesus and how everything became new. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, sometimes we just eat one piece of bread and eat another piece. And, 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 and as you eat this, meditate and ponder upon His body was broken for you. Meaning, the law man died. And I now know that I never again has to be a partaker of the law man, but I'm a partaker of the broken body. My law man died in Christ. And I've been made brand new in the body of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. The body in which we stand before God is the resurrected body. Although not manifested yet, we can relate through that. <clears throat> For His body is ours in heaven. Thank you, my God. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you that we labor to enter into the rest and we stay in this rest by continuing, continuing to believe your good news. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. In the same way, Jesus took a cup and He thanked God. He says, this is the, the blood of the new covenant. And I want to tell you, it's the blood that washes away all our sins. It means the life of Jesus was poured out for us. The Bible says the life of a man is in the blood. And as that lamb was slain, the, 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 the sinfulness that came into his blood was poured out. In the same way, the sinfulness of man contained in his blood was poured out. The sinless blood of Jesus. He, 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 was, he was sinless, but his sinless blood flowed for us so that we today can be partakers of saying that the life that I had flowed out of me and a new life which is by the glory of God and by the Spirit is inside me. So my life, I don't find my life in my blood anymore, in my nature anymore. I don't find my life source in, my, in Adam anymore. I find a new life, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, my God. And as you drink of this, we thank God. Thank you for the blood of Jesus, Father. And that we can lift this cup in remembrance of the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, my Father. Thank you, my Father. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We know you, for you've been merciful to us. Thank you, Jesus. So now we don't have to correct people by their works anymore. For we all know you for we, for mer because of mercy. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, I want to thank you for being part of this. You know, um, I, I want to just say something. This, this is one person that I, I spoke to that said to me that we... And I want to just touch on this and just to tell you how absurd this is and how it bring, comes back to the law again. <clears throat> this person said to me that we have got immortality in our bodies already. And then she said to me that they can have perfect kids that's born sinless without the ability to sin. Calling perfection out of our flesh again. Which is back where Adam and Eve was, was saying, listen man, if a man, man and a woman comes together, what's born out of their flesh, because they became one flesh, the fruit of flesh coming together is perfection. 
What sin and blasphemy? There's only perfection in God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for that. You see how absurd a, a wrong gospel can, can become? You know, the, the, the old people, when I was young, there was older people that said, and they used the Afrikaans word, dweep. They said, you shouldn't read the Bible too much because you, you're going to start to dweep. It means you're going to become mad. And, and, and I think I understand what they say because there are people that read the Bible too much. Now, please understand what I'm saying from a wrong perspective. And then they become mad. They lose track with reality. There's a reality in Christ that is so real that we can be earthly good to people. Amen. So, I, I want to I, I really encourage you to just read the Bible from the perspective of God's grace, God's unconditional love, and read what is written there. And know that God loves you unconditionally. He blesses you unconditionally. We need to stay in faith to stay saved. <laughs> that, that's how simple it is. If works cannot get you saved, if, works, if, if without works you cannot be saved, then once you're saved, works cannot get you unsaved. For works does not have the power to get you saved. If you needed faith to get saved, unbelief can get you unsaved. Because it possesses the power to give you access into grace. It, give, it possesses the power to close the door unto grace. Called faith. That's how simple it is. We don't have to argue about the thing. That is what's written in the Bible. And can the Holy Spirit leave somebody? Of course. So I want to encourage you, like Paul the Apostle, we stay in the gospel of grace. We don't go back to the law. We don't go back to works righteousness. We don't go back to any of those things. We stay in the gospel of what Jesus has done for us and we continue to live by faith. Because by faith, people's lives were changed and they received the promise. I want to tell you, by faith, our lives will be changed and we will receive the promise which is immortality in Jesus Christ, which is in the return of Jesus. Thank you so much for watching this. If you've got any questions, please write to us at info@dynamicministries.com. If you've got any questions um, in the U.S., you can write to info, I think it's usinfo@dynamicministries.com. I'm not sure. Just check, contact us on our website. Thank you for that, um, for writing to us. If this blesses you, please let us know. It's encouraging to hear from people. Um, if, you, if you want to order our material, please do so. I want to thank those of you that contribute to Dynamic Love Ministries via the internet. Those of you that are in the USA, we've got a postal address, so you can post a check um, if you are scared. I, when I was in the USA, and I realize, and understand why it is, many people are scared to donate to Africa with a credit card. Many people with credit cards, their credit cards has been stopped because they want to donate to South Africa and then they've got to go to the bank and get spe special permission to donate towards the account that is on the internet via the credit card. That's all going to change from February. In February we're opening an account in the U.S. where you'll be able to donate with a credit card um, you know, to a U.S. account. Then the ministry will have its own bank account. Um, I need to be there to open the thing and whatever. So that will be done in February. Um, but in the meantime, if you want to post a check, you can do it. Uh, the, the address is also under contact us. Thank you for everybody that, that sponsors this ministry, that's part of this. God bless you. Everybody, you're blessed by God. You're loved by God. Thank you for joining us. I want you to know this one thing. 
and I always say this when I end off, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, you can always enjoy the love of God. Amen.